All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew 19. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the gospel of Matthew. And Lord, we transition today. Uh, Lord, we we follow Jesus uh, south. Lord, we leave uh, the Sea of Galilee and we make our way uh, to the southern part of Israel where we will camp out uh, until the crucifixion. And so, Lord, we, um, we pray that you would by your spirit, Lord, allow us to understand uh, this passage. Father, I pray um, that your grace would abound as we navigate this, this uh, passage that deals with a, a difficult subject. Uh, Lord, we, um, we, we come before your word, Lord, asking that you would speak to us, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that you would heal wounds, that you would minister to each of us, Lord, uh, through the various things that we've gone through in life, and, and Lord, as the subject of divorce comes up, um, this is a difficult subject. And so, Father, we ask that you would guide us and help us this day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And so, Father, we come before you. Lord, we, um, we really need your help today, or I do at least, as I share uh, from this passage. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we um, study this word. I pray that you would uh, open our hearts to your message. Lord, um, Lord help us to, to, to hear and understand what you are saying in this passage, uh, what was going on in the original context. 
And Father, I pray that you would minister to each one here today by your Spirit. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. Okay, this is, <clears throat> this is one of those passages that we, you, you know, we, this is not something, I, a passage I would just choose to speak on. Um, you know, somebody says, hey, come to my church and pick, you can, you have free reign. This is not one of the passages that I would come to and say, oh, this is a great one. I'm just going to, thanks for inviting me to your church. I'm going to share these 12 verses. I, um, but this is why we sort of take a book at a time and we don't set the agenda. Uh, we allow God to sort of give us the agenda um, as it comes up. And, and so before we get into difficulty, I want to look at the first two verses here. We read, when Jesus had finished these words, this is sort of, this is an indication of transition uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, that Matthew, as he's penning uh, the story of Christ, th- th- there's, there's a change. Uh, we see that he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Uh, so, so in the Gospel of Matthew, this is really the last time um, that we will be in the Galilee region, uh, at least... Um, uh, until the cross. So, so Passover is coming. They're, they're, they're beginning uh, to leave their area of worship. Uh, two times a year, they would make their transition down to the, down to the south uh, for the big festivals. There were three festivals, but you would crank out two in one journey. You would go to the Passover. You'd wait 50 days, and then there was the celebration of Pentecost, and then you'd make your way home. And then uh, in the fall, there was uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, um, where you'd make your journey again. And so Matthew's sort of indicating that, that the story's shifting. Uh, we, we've spent a while now in Matthew seeing that Jesus has spent a significant amount of time with his disciples, just sort of he and the 12 of them, and he's been training them and teaching them. We've sort of lost the crowds. We've lost the, the Pharisees. There hasn't been a lot of, of, they haven't really been involved. Well, things are going to change um, in today's story. Um, they make their journey. So on this map, we, I've circled Capernaum. I've also circled Jerusalem. And this is about an 80-mile journey. So you see the Sea of Galilee up there. They would have come down. And so, somewhere along here, we don't know exactly where, they would have crossed over to the east side of the Galilee. And then they would have continued their journey down. So the, the, today's story, we're somewhere in this region. We don't know where exactly. And the reason they would go to the east side is this is Samaria, and they would avoid Samaria. So it just makes sense that they would, they would go down, they would, they would follow the river. Um, there's a big, big road, and, and it just made the most sense for traveling. This was communities upon communities traveling with one another, not just your family, but, but the whole town would sort of up and pack. And, and we see here um, that as they make their way down, uh, verse 2, and large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. I mean, this is so much we've, uh, all I have in my notes is, of course he did. <laughs> like, like crowds come to Jesus, they have needs, and he just sort of heals them. It, it's, you know, one, we, could, we, could, we could camp here for a lot of time, or we could just sort of move on. But Matthew's just like, hey, the crowds are back, Jesus is healing people, and then all of a sudden, Pharisees. <laughs> so now we're down south, we're down in this region, we're just east of Jerusalem, very, very deserty. The whole, uh, the climate, the environment, uh, geographically, everything changes. This is true desert. I mean, this is out in the wilderness. Uh, in today's story, where where Moses is brought up, just sort of something to keep in the back of our mind is as Deuteronomy is brought up. 
This is about the area where Moses would have spoken Deuteronomy. This is the area where he would have looked into the promised land. And so there's layers in Israel. And so where Jesus comes, the fact that Moses comes up, this conversation comes up, it's all sort of in the same geographical place. And so these, uh, we see these Pharisees. Um, they come to Jesus, testing him, and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Uh, uh, before we jump into the subject, I want to say a few things. Uh, the first thing I want to point out is the context. We see the Pharisees. Okay, the Pharisees, we know, are trying to find legal evidence to arrest Jesus, to bring him into custody, to sort of remove him from, from the map of he was threatening them. Um, he stood against them. And, and, and so we see here that, that this whole today's, this whole passage today is dealing with a religious group trying to put Jesus to the test um, for the sake of sort of ruining his support. We see that there's large crowds here. Uh, they, are, they are pitching something that is, was really politically explosive, uh, especially in light of John the Baptist. If we remember, John the Baptist, his head was taken off because he challenged uh, Antipas about his relationship with his wife. Um, and so there's, there's a test here. And, and so as we go through this story... Like, I, I have to be sensitive and, and to be aware that, it, that in our culture, it's not even, like, it's really not even worth getting the statistics on, on divorce. My, my assumption is that everybody in this room has been affected or touched by divorce. Um, it, it's very much like cancer. Either you've been through it or you know somebody who has um, or your parents. It's, it, it is it's so rampant. It, it is a subject that comes with, with great pain. And so um, in order to teach on this subject, it's going to require a lot of grace on my part. It's going to re- require a lot of grace on your part in, in what you hear. Um, but I think that it's in the Word of God. It's great that this question has sort of been brought up by the Pharisees. Um, it's important for all of us to understand what God thinks about this, whether you're married, whether you're widowed, whether you're single, whether um, you're divorced. Like, like it matters to all of us that marriage is important and we need to understand uh, what God says about it. Um, okay, so let's look at their question. So there's large crowds and they come to him. We recognize that their question isn't a legitimate question. It's not a question that they have they're like, hey, we're really struggling with this issue. You know, we read in the scriptures and there's, there's this mention of divorce. And how do we handle it, Jesus? They're, they're, they're not going to him as students with, with a genuine um, desire to understand what God's plan and, and what, what the word teaches on the subject. They're going to him and they're asking a question to try to trip him up, to try to sort of dismantle his following. We, we need to keep this in our mind. Um, towards the end, I will, I will look at it from another angle, but we need to keep in our, in our minds that this, 
this whole topic of divorce in this section, this is not a woman going to Jesus who's been abandoned by her husband saying, I've just gone through a divorce. What do I do? What do you have to say to me? Okay, there's a, there's a huge difference. This is a group of religious leaders who their sole purpose is to try to, to, to sort of trip up Jesus, to, to start an explosion. Um, the, the backdrop to this story when they come, th- this would be like walking on, if you, had, if you had access to go to Congress and to stand up and to say, I have a question for you guys. How do you all feel about Obamacare? Can you imagine the chaos in, in Congress? Like it would, have been, it would be a huge explosion. If they, it, it would look probably um, like the England's parliament. You know how they all scream at each other and they go. This is the sort of, um, this is the same equivalent in, in, that, that was happening during their time. Uh, there were two schools of thought. Um, there was a rabbi, a Shammai, and a, and a rabbi, uh, Hillel, <laughs> these, these two guys. Somebody say that? I hear? I don't know. Um, so there's two schools of thought, and everything goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, without looking at the whole context, because that'll make it even more confusing, um, but there's a, there's a verse there, and in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it says... When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out uh, from his house. Now, if you keep reading, it gets a little bit like, it gets a little, um, like, how do you handle this? Somebody else marries her, but we'll, that'll kind of just put a muzzle on my mouth, and we won't even open that can of worms. Um, but so the question at hand is, when Moses writes this, or when he spoke it, it said, and he finds some indecency in her. That's sort of vague. And so there were these two rabbis who were sort of, they became, they were like schools of thought. Like, it, it wasn't just like this, this one guy says this, and this guy says this. These were men who had huge followings, that they had uh, that, that people that either were in their camp or, or were not in their camp. And so Shammai, he was conservative. His belief is that, that this indecency was limited to a very small, a small, small, small scope, that there had to be sort of infidelity, something, something of that nature, of a, a sexual immorality that sort of violated the, the covenant of marriage. Very, very narrow window that he thought and that he taught and he expounded upon uh, concerning what Moses was, was referencing in Deuteronomy 24. Now, Hillel was the liberal of the day. He, he cast a very wide net. Uh, so, so, so much in that you could divorce your wife if she burns your meal or if there was a prettier woman. Talk about security within a marriage. Like that's, so, so when we look at these two schools of thought, there was one that was very narrow. There was one that was very wide. Which one do you guys think was more popular amongst the people? The wide net one. Like everybody loved Hillel. Like this is, like the guys were in control. Like they're like, oh, all I need to do is to, to give a certificate of divorce. And then there's a whole nother like, 
there's a whole nother bag of apples that like, that it was really scandal. Like, like when you got a wife, you got a dowry from her family. And if you left her, you had to give that back unless there was sort of infidelity or something. So you could, so she could have burned your meal, you could have left her, but then you could have given the certificate of divorce in a way that you could keep the money. And so it was just, th- this was a mess. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Don't, don't think that our day and age, like that there's anything special about us and we're marriage and th- th- this, what's going on today was very much like what's going on there. So this is a politically sensitive question. These guys come to Jesus and they ask, is it lawful? I think it's interesting that they don't say, oh, What's God's heart in the matter? It's simply like, is it law? Like, are we legally okay? Like, they're they're checking their boxes of religion. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Like that, there's a cuter, younger girl that you see. Is that is that okay? She burned your meal. Is that okay? Any reason at all? They want Jesus to sort of get in this squabble of theirs. And I think that they probably assumed that he would take the, which he kind of does, he, the, the more conservative stance so that the huge crowds would suddenly get mad at Jesus. And he's like, oh, he's attacking us because we have like this divorce. Like we're, um... And so how does Jesus answer? And so in verse 4, he answers and he says to them, have you not read? I kind of want to just pause there. Like, as there's this debate that's happening, they're arguing about uh, various rabbis' interpretations of a subject matter. Um, Jesus sort of like, hey, haven't you guys read the book? Like, have you guys examined, examined the, the text to see what it actually says about marriage and divorce? He, and he goes to Genesis 2.24 And he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother, his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so Jesus sort of he bypasses the issue of divorce and he goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis 2.24 to, to really the, the boilerplate of what marriage is. God is the author, um, the creator, the patent holder of marriage. He is the one who designed marriage, who created it, who, who gave it to us. And so instead of answering their question, he goes back to the source and says, well, this is what marriage is. Um, I think that God gave marriage as sort of a, a, a foundation to sort of knit the fabric of society together, that, it, that it's mentioned so early in the scriptures and that throughout the scriptures, um, it, it's, it's referenced. And so, so he goes back and he says, listen, that two become one. He, he, that, that, that God is sort of supernaturally, mysteriously working that when two get married, that the two become one. Uh, th- this is one of those weeks where I, I've uh, 
Throughout Matthew, I've enjoyed my little kids' uh, devotional. Uh, the Adventures in Odyssey has a devotional through the Gospel of Matthew. And so, and these harder subjects, I say, well, how, did, how does Adventures in Odyssey handle this section? And so they tell a little story about making chocolate milk. You know, you take a cup of milk, you pour some Hershey's, stir it all together. And then they say, well, once you've done that, the two become one. And you can't, like, you can't really unseparate it. Uh, that's really good. Um, it, it really, uh, he shows that in this two becoming one, that there's this binding that happens. It's, it's a beautiful picture in Ephesians chapter 5, the very end of 5. And Paul goes through this whole, um, if you've been to a wedding, you've heard it, and it, it's this beautiful picture of this intertwining of people. And at the very end of it, like Paul sort of backs up and he says, you guys think I'm talking about marriage, but what I'm doing is I'm talking about our relationship with God and that marriage is, is the closest picture that, that we as humans can sort of grasp to understand our relationship with God through Christ. Um, and so Jesus says, like, listen, this is the two become one. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. And it's sort of this picture of, I know at one wedding, I, 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 many years ago, I heard this wedding where they described like two pieces of wood being glued together. And then to try to, to separate those two pieces of wood, it really damages both pieces of wood because they've, they've been united. And so Jesus says, like, so they're no longer two but one flesh. Wherefore, God is joined together. Let no man separate. And they're, like, asking about divorce. And he comes back and said, let's talk about marriage. Um, and so he sets this pretty high standard. There's no wiggle room. It says, like, according to God's design, he essentially says there's no room for divorce. And we'll see by the end of the story, by the end of this, even his disciples are going to be like, then why would we ever get married? Jesus is like, that's a really good question. Like, not to skip ahead. He's like, that's, like, like, Jesus so puts marriage in this, like, this is serious, this, this, this vow, this relationship before God. And so they're going to come back. They're going to get more direct about their question. Ultimately, uh, they're going to sort of, Get to the core. They're going to get to that Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, where the first time was a trap. And it's like, oh, man, this Jesus is good. Like, he got out of this one. Let's be more direct then. And look what they ask him in verse 7. Then they said, that's the Pharisees, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, this is interesting. This reminds me of going back to Genesis, the very beginning. It reminds me of how Satan distorts what God says. It, it seems like when Satan sort of approached Eve and said, hey, uh, why don't you eat that fruit? And God said, well, I, I, can't, I can't eat it or surely I'll die. Like, we can't do that. Satan says, that's not what God said, is it? And they said, then why, why did Moses command this? Well, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, it wasn't so much that Moses commanded it. And Jesus is going to address this. He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to get divorced. Like, like this wasn't the ideal. This was sort of th that Moses recognized what was happening, uh, like obviously led by God, and, and, and the, the words came out that these women who were being abandoned by their husbands for whatever reason, if they didn't have a certificate of divorce, they were sort of helpless. And so the certificate of divorce was actually God's way 
of protecting these women who were, who were basically being sort of de- left destitute. Um, and so the certificate of divorce sort of gave them freedom to sort of move on. And he's, you know, so he says that he gets to the heart of it, that the hardness of your heart. And I'd suggest that like divorce, once it gets to that level, there's a lot of hardness of heart and, and, and it gets brutal. And when there's this, this tearing apart, I've never met anybody that went through a divorce and said, that was awesome. Like, I think everybody should go through divorce because it, like, and if it's not you arguing, then you might even get to the courts and assets. Oh, it's awesome. Everybody should do it. No, everybody I know that's been through a divorce, the kids of divorced parents, the parents, it's just a whole lot of pain. It's miserable. This is the hardness of your heart. It hasn't always been this way. And I do think that a lot of like marriage requires a whole lot of heart surgery um, to, to stay right. You have two sinful people coming together, but I'll go more into that later. Um, he goes on in verse 9, and he's going to actually address some of the outs. Um, he said, I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And, and, and so this word, um, he said, whoever divorces his wife basically leads uh, to, immoral, to, to adultery on their, on their part if they remarry. Um, this word immorality that he uses is actually a pretty broad word. This, this, this is... This is the word porneia that is sort of like a, a huge dragnet on, 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 on anything that could be um, dealing with, uh, por- it's the word porneia, which is where we get pornography from. It's, it's the idea of anything that would sort of violate the sexual unity within the marriage. Um, so he gives that out. I, I do want to say that um, the New Testament continues to give some other outs. Like, I'm not necessarily looking for, like, you know, to provide you guys with the sort of the, uh, the loopholes in the system, which I think they were trying to do. They're like, well, Moses commanded. It's like, well, Moses didn't command that. Um, but they were legally looking for loopholes that they could leave their wives and still sort of stay super religious. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and 7 is a great chapter to sort of study on the whole subject of marriage. We don't have time to sort of uh, expound upon that whole passage today. Um, but, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, the apostle adds sort of um, that, a, that a believing person, if they're in a union with a non-believer, that sort of the intent of the believer is that you should stay in that union. You should do everything you can do to make that union work. And if that person departs, just go ahead and let them go. You're free from the vows. Um, very interesting, this whole subject of divorce, that it comes sort of on the heels of forgiveness in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew goes right in from forgiveness, sort of a church discipline, forgiveness, and now we're talking about uh, divorce. And, and certainly the marriage union requires a ton, a ton of forgiveness. Um, but it makes me wonder, like the departing spouse, non-believer, it's sort of the assumption that the believing spouse wouldn't depart, I think. I'm not sure. And of course, 
Another option is death, is, is if your spouse dies, you're, you're free from um, the, 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 the boundness of marriage, the, that it's the permanency of it all. And Jesus, what he says here is difficult. All we have to do is to go into the next verse. To, like, when Jesus is asked about divorce, he makes marriage, like the vows before God are, are a serious thing. Clearly what he's saying, cut against their culture. You know, I hear today, like, especially dealing with, like, divorce, oh, things of that, that's just old-fashioned. That, that's, like, like, that's a, but, but back then, old-fashioned, they, it, this wasn't, uh, I don't know if they thought it was old-fashioned. Oh, that's back with Adam and Eve. That's like, because look at the disciples in verse 10. Like, Jesus, what he's saying isn't necessarily, like, I don't want to say, like, orthodox is probably the wrong word I'm looking for, but it wasn't mainstream teaching. This, is, this teaching during that era of the religious people, this was way outside of the box. Because Jesus' disciples now, they said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Like, like you get the feeling that they're saying, like, if, why, like, this is sobering. Like, it's probably better not to enter into a relationship of this magnitude. Like, it's probably better just to stay single. And then Jesus said to them, which I'm going to kind of skim over this part. He said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those who it has been given. For there are some eunuchs. Eunuch is a man who's been sort of like castrated. Um, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There, there are some that were, were not born with this capacity for marriage. Um, and there are eunuchs who were made that way, who were made eunuchs by men. So if there was a king who had a harem of women, if he wanted other men to sort of care for his harem and to work in his capacity, he would be castrated so that there would be no like danger of contaminating his kingly line. And then there are also eunuchs, the third one, who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So there, there are others who are, who are single, um, who, who did this for serving God. And then Jesus ends with, he was able to accept this, let him accept it. Okay, so I... I've, I've kind of worked through that, and I have to kind of get back to my notes, because these, verse 10 and 11 and 12, sort of how do we deal with these? Um, like, they clearly understood that what Jesus was saying, there was no watering down with what Jesus said. It was, it was clear that, that marriage was a serious thing. Uh, under a small window, there was an allowance for getting out of it, but even in the case of adultery, it wasn't like he's saying that that's necessarily even the, the, the preference, but, but there's, an, there's an exception, sort of that the, the destruction and the, the, the damage from immorality within a marriage or infidelity, um, th- that might be more than, than a person can bear. And, and so like there's an, an allowance there. Um, I think of poor Jose in the Old Testament, who he was instructed by God to marry a prostitute uh, and to stay married to her, um, for the sake of showing the people how God felt about them with his relationship, that, that, that we wander from him, and that this Hosea, what a ministry, I'm glad, you know, <laughs> that's not a ministry that any of us would want. Um, 
was a picture for the people to see how God felt with our wandering hearts. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, talking about singleness, uh, he, he goes through in, in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about marriage and how it all fits. And, and he says in, in verse 7, he says, I wish that all, all men were even as I myself am. And it was believed that Paul was married and then lost his wife uh, through death is, is what a lot of people believe. And he says, you know, I wish that all people could remain single, um, but, but that's difficult. Um, and he says that I wish all men were single as I myself am, but then if you keep reading, and you sort of get the reason why he suggests this in verse 28, always gets a lot of laughs. Speaking towards married people, he says, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. That marriage is hard, it's, it's, it's difficult, and to honor the, the vows and to, to do what God wants, like, it's not easy. And Paul says, I'm trying to spare you from that. But if you're burning with passion, and I think this is what Jesus is bringing up the whole eunuch thing, that it's not easy for all to understand that, 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 that most people seem like we're uh, not given the gift of, of singleness, which can be a great gift. Uh, there are great men and women over the centuries who've done amazing, amazing things uh, for, for God in their singleness. Um, so now that we've worked through the text, I just want to close with a couple like points on this matter. Um, uh, we have to remember the context of this whole story. This is a bunch of men approaching Jesus about divorce, looking for loopholes for how they can abandon their wives. Okay, this is, this is a, Jesus is going to treat them um, a whole lot firmer than he would treat a woman who has been sort of abandoned or, um, or has already gone through this. He's dealing in the present tense, sort of looking forward. He's not sort of dealing with the past. He's dealing with an individual who's presently married, who's looking for a way out. And he sets the bar for what marriage is very, very, very high. Um, To the divorced, to those who have gone through this, who sort of um, bearing the the guilt and maybe the shame and, and the... Uh, for a marriage that didn't work out and resulted in divorce. They say, well, is there, is there any case in, in the scriptures where Jesus had an encounter with a woman who'd been divorced? And would you believe it? There is. And see, when you read his encounter with her, there's, it's a totally different, it's different. And that, that account happens in John chapter four, the woman at the well. You guys all remember the story, the woman at the well. There's this woman, she's, She's collecting her water at, at, at the hottest point of the day, at noon, which for us might not seem like a big deal. Maybe it just doesn't, like, when do, when do you guys go get your water? Well, anytime I want, I just go to the faucet, turn it on. I don't have to walk a mile down to the road to, to grab a bucket of water and carry it back up. So all the respectable ladies, they would gather their water in the morning. And so here's this woman who's getting her water at noon or in the afternoon heat, when nobody would do it because that was the only time she really could because she was sort of ostracized from the, from the community. And so in John chapter 4, verse 16, we encountered Jesus. He said to her, uh, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, you know, you're correct in what you say. Um, 
You've correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you're currently living with is not your husband. Okay, so that's five divorces currently living with her boyfriend, right? I think this is a pretty good test. How how does Jesus treat her? It's actually this beautiful encounter that she's, in, in, in addition to that, she's a Samaritan woman. And so they have this exchange about the coming Messiah, and Jesus basically says, I, I am he, and I have water that you can drink that you'll never, ever, ever thirst again. And she longs for this water. And it's this beautiful encounter of God's grace towards her, his love for her. And so to those that have been divorced, I don't, this passage deals with like, like presently married looking forward. Um, God's grace is greater than we can possibly like fathom. And if you have been divorced, that's, that is not the unpardonable sin. That God can heal and restore. Um, to the married people, I found a quote. I think I found a new quote. See, my, my quote at marriages up to this point has been, uh, love is blind and marriage is an eye-opener. That one's good. I like it. I'll, I, I... <laughs> but I found a new one by a Christian. He's a Christian ethicist. I forgot his name. Stalwell or something. Uh, he says this about marriage. This might be my new marriage one. We'll see. There's an assumption out there in the culture that there is someone just right for us to marry. And if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person. This overlooks a crucial fact about marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that when you get married, you always marry the wrong person. <laughs> we never know whom we marry. We, we just think we do. Or even if we marry the right person, just give it a while. He or she will change. And I think that the point of, of this is if you're married, like marriage is tough and we have ups and downs and there's good times and there's bad times. Um, I think that the call here is to work on your marriage and, and not to give up. If you're in it and you're struggling, like understanding that, you know what, this person that I'm married to, as much as they're driving me crazy right now, like this is God's provision for my life. And, and so either I can be miserable for the rest of my life or I can suck it up and I can adjust and change things to, to make things better. Old George and Evie Farrington, you know, for those of you that remember them, um, George was a pastor here like in the 60s. Both of them have gone to be with the Lord. And they'd been married for like 65. I forget what the final tally was, but they'd been married for a very long time. And I remember talking to George saying, hey, we're going to have a couple sing. Would you, would, what would you think about speaking? And he's like, well, I don't know. I'd probably give it a shot. I'd be happy to speak. And I'm like, well, what would you, like just for me as a young married man, what would you say to me? Kind of thinking there'd be something like soft and gentle and sort of like make you feel good, you know. He looked at me and he got real serious. He sits up in his seat, pulls out his finger, and he's like, you just suck it up. You just persevere it'll get better. It's like, do you have anything else to say? He's like, that's all I would say. I'm like, so we found a different speaker. <laughs> uh, but, but, I, 
But, but I think Jesus is saying, like, listen, you need to understand that when you get married and if you're in a marriage, like, you, like, understand that before God, both of you are sinners. There's no right person. And the desires that you two have missed, like, it's a mystery that we have become one and that God's desire is for you to press on. And, to, you know, to everyone else, like, I think like, if you're, like, I think if you're not married, if you're, uh, if you're just friends with people who are married, why I think this is important for all of us is because the world is going to say different things about marriage. In Hebrews 13.4, it says that marriage is to be held in honor among all. And so if you're not married, but you have a girlfriend or a guy friend who's married and they're really um, struggling in their marriage, I, I believe that our posture as, as believers is like, no, you, you really need to like, like seek help in your relationship. Do whatever you can do to salvage it, um, to, to really encourage um, the marriage. And I'm going to end with, I, in order to do all, like all of this, we need Christ, right? Like, like, like I am a guy who has my, there are so, like not personally, but from my parents, like I, I pretty much need all of my fingers to count the divorces in my, from my parents. Um, siblings, every, like d- divorce is something that has touched me. When I look at our culture, our culture it doesn't, marriage, it's, it's a skew. Like it's, the, the biblical idea of what marriage is is so far from, um, or I should say our culture's idea of marriage is so far from um, what, who, what God has laid out and prescribed for us. He's the one who invented it and created it for us. And so this is one of those messages I wish there was like, I feel like, you know, you guys all need to trust in Jesus. He'll take care of you. He loves you. Um, this is one of those hard messages. And so, Father, I, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, I, uh, there are those who are, who are single, who are young in life, and I'm sure have desires of getting married someday. Lord, I pray that you would um, help each single person in this room, Lord, to understand um, the significance of marriage, um, the weightiness of it, and that you would give them sort of the commitment as they seek a spouse to, to seek one who um, loves you. Um, may you um, help them to understand the, the commitment that they are making as they um, sort of long and look forward to the day when they can be married. I pray that you would help them in that area. Father, I pray for those who have been divorced. Um, Lord, there's just, there are wounds that um, happen following a divorce that, are, that, that, that seem to be lifelong, um, that cut deep within us. And so, Father, we know that your grace abounds. We know your forgiveness abounds. And so, Father, I pray for those that Satan may be um, using their divorce to... to to hurt them, to keep them down, to think that they're unworthy. Um, Father, I pray that um, you would help them to fully recognize um, the forgiveness that they have in you. I pray that you would um, allow them to forgive themselves um, for whatever may have happened. Um, and Father, I pray for those in this room who are, who are married, 
I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, th this is an area that is under attack in our world. Um, this is a gift that you have given, and I do believe that is uh, often under attack um, by Satan and, and the, the dismantle uh, marriages. It's something that I believe that he attempts to do on a regular basis. And so, Father, I pray uh, for each married person in this room that you would help each one uh, to be gracious with their spouse, to be forgiving with their spouse, um, to, uh, to really understand their marriage as being a gift from you. Um, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to grow in our marriages. I thank you, Lord, for our church family. I thank you for each one that's here. Father, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.